Well, this morning we get to hear Jesus say to us, if you want to get to know me, this is at the heart of who I am. If you want to get to know me, this shapes my mission, my purpose for coming, shapes my identity. Why is Jesus talking about these things in the scripture passage we're about to read? Uh, so it's, it's Palm Sunday. Jesus has just entered Jerusalem, and uh, he is going to say, uh, the hour is at hand. This is why I came. This is what I am getting ready to do, what I came to do. Um, the Pharisees are grumbling and complaining. Too many people want to get to know Jesus. The whole world is running after him. And then immediately after that, where we're going to pick up in our Scripture reading, some non-Jews. They're described as Greeks. doesn't mean they were from Greece. Just they, they, they aren't Jewish. They have come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast. We'll say a bit more about that later. But they're basically saying, we want to get to know Jesus. Can we meet him? Can we sit down and talk with him? That's why Jesus is talking about these things at this moment. Why are we talking about this right now? I call it fog, coronavirus fog, right? After a few months of trying to learn so many different rhythms, it's easy to forget who we are, to forget why we're here. It's easy as a church to kind of forget what, what is our mission, what's our, what's our purpose, what's our identity. It's easy for the mission to become just making it through one more stinking day without losing my mind or getting sick. That becomes mission, purpose, identity. Let's take a few weeks to get to know Jesus again. Get to hear what's, what's at the heart of who he is. As we do that, we'll rediscover what he says is at the heart of who he means us to be as well. So this morning we're going to listen to the scriptures John chapter 12, Emily Dunlap is going to do our scripture reading for the day. Today's scripture reading comes from John chapter 12, verse 20 through 26. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what you see in front of you right now is a quote from one of my friends. I, uh, Jack Collins was one of my seminary professors, and then for about 10 years we taught together at Covenant Seminary. This is one of the things that Jack says every week over and over again. Don't hear what I'm not saying. 
Right, so sometimes you can, uh, you can sort of assume what somebody means. You've got your way of viewing the world. You've got your way of hearing things. And so they say one thing and you assume they said what you were thinking already. And so Jack will constantly remind students in his classes to, uh, to sit up and pay attention. Don't assume. Don't hear what I'm not saying. You ever have this happen to you at a green light? Uh, you're, you're sitting in traffic here in Atlanta, and uh, you're waiting to go straight. You're waiting for that red light to turn green, and, and, and you see it. You see some green. So you start to go forward. The problem is the green you see is the left turn arrow, and it's not your turn to go straight yet. Your light's still red. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Don't hear that it's time for you to go yet. You want it to be time for you to go. You wish it was time for you to go. But the light's not telling you to go yet. Don't hear what I'm not saying. We want to take time this morning to hear what Jesus is saying. And then we'll talk about what he's not saying. We'll start here. What, what is Jesus saying? Well, the New Testament uses the word gospel to summarize the message of Jesus. What Jesus says through his words and through his actions, through who he is and what he does, is good news. You'll see a, 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 an expanded definition of what the gospel is and what it does on the front of our worship guide this week, whether it's online or here printed on a piece of paper, a great definition of what the gospel is. I'll summarize it this way. Jesus is saying here in John chapter 12, as these Greeks have come and said, hey, we want to get to know you. Can we meet Jesus? Sir, we want to see Jesus. Jesus says in response, everything the whole world needs is found in me. Let's unpack that statement a bit. Let's start with that phrase, the whole world. We'll read a verse that, uh, verse 19, just before our scripture reading for the day, when these Greeks come and say, we want to meet Jesus, this is what the Pharisees had said. The Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Some translations say the whole world has gone after him. The Pharisees are saying we're doing our best to keep people from wanting to know Jesus. But our efforts are getting us nowhere because the whole world wants to know this man. That sets the context for what we read in verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks, again, not necessarily from the country that we would know as Greece today, just saying they're not Jewish. So as if to prove what the Pharisees just said, Jesus is here to have an impact on the whole world. Some people who represent the whole world come and say, we want to know Jesus. Now, why are these non-Jewish people here in Jerusalem to worship uh, at the feast of Passover, according to verse 20. It's, it's because they belong to a group that elsewhere in the New Testament is called God-fearers. So God-fearers were non-Jewish people who in the Roman Empire had, had gotten disillusioned 
with the pursuit of justice and morality that, that the empire called for, according to Greek, Greek philosophy. One of the highest ideals you could aspire to is, is justice, to create a just society. Well, some citizens of the Roman Empire took a look around and said, you know, we're not really doing a great job of that. And they, they came to know the, the Old Testament scriptures and to see, you know what, here's a God whose, whose commandments actually do a better job of, of producing what we're longing for than anything we've seen so far. So God-fearers were those who had sympathy toward Judaism. They, they weren't Jews. There was another category of people who, who fully became Jewish converts. They underwent circumcision. They began to obey all the Jewish laws. And then there was a category of people like these Greeks, non-Jews, very sympathetic toward Judaism. They might even participate in some of the worship of Judaism. They weren't fully converted to Judaism yet. And so here are these folks saying, yeah, we want to know more about the God who reveals himself in the scriptures, and we believe we can learn more about him through Jesus. Hey, Andrew, Philip, can we meet Jesus? We'd like to see him. And then in verse 23, we read this response on the part of Jesus. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I came here so that the whole world could be redeemed. Jews and non-Jews alike, people who think they're good at being just and people who know they aren't, people who think they're good at obeying God's laws and people who have no idea what God's laws even are. I came here to redeem the whole world and the time is at hand for me to die and rise again. Everything the whole world needs is found in me. What does the whole world need? Jesus talks about two things here in this brief passage. Verse 24, he says to us that that the whole world needs perfect love and abundant life. Just listen to the way that Jesus describes himself. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then in verse 24, he says this, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The whole world needs to be loved in this way, that someone would love us enough to give themselves for us. That someone would love us enough to lay down everything about themselves in order to redeem us. And Jesus uses the picture of this grain of wheat. I am going to fall into the earth and like that seed be buried underneath the soil. I'm going to die. And if I don't, well then, the thing I came here to do won't happen. But if I do, then a whole lot of fruit will spring up. Abundant life will come out of this perfect love, this love that loves us enough to die, to sacrifice himself for us, will lead to much fruit, enough good, life-giving, nourishing fruit to sustain the whole world. We need 
that kind of love. We need that kind of life. And Jesus says, the hour has come. That's what I came to do. And the glory of a seed is when it gets buried so that it can grow more and more and more life-giving fruit. And my glory, I have come to be glorified. My glory is to die in order to give life to others. That's one thing we need. Then Jesus moves on from just talking about himself using that grain and fruit imagery to talk about us. Verse 25. And he says, we also need freedom from a life that is focused on self-preservation. Save myself. Don't let myself get buried in the soil. We need freedom from that kind of life. So Jesus says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This is my nicest white shirt. I bought it last year for my daughter's wedding. I think this is the second time I've worn it. I wore it first for that wedding. Right? It's, it's so nice and so new and so spotlessly white. I want to preserve it. I want to protect it. Well, what happens when you say that about a piece of clothing? I want to preserve it. I want to protect it. It means I don't ever want to wear it. And I certainly don't want to wear it to eat spaghetti. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm so worried about preserving this thing that I keep it from doing the very thing it was created for. It's designed to be worn, not hung in a closet. The only way you save the shirt is by not letting it be a shirt. The only way you save a seed from getting buried in the ground and dying and decomposing so that it can sprout and grow and create a crop, the only way you save a seed is by not letting it be a seed. Jesus is saying the only way you can save and preserve yourself is by not being the kind of self you were created to be. You weren't created to focus on self. You weren't created to preserve yourself at all costs. You were created like him to give yourself, to die to yourself so that other people can enjoy more life. We need to be set free from this kind of put-it-on-the-shelf mentality. Save it. I want everybody to see my seed and how great it is. And I I want to prove to everyone how awesome this piece of wheat is. And so I'm never going to let it be buried in the ground. I'm never going to let it decompose and die. I want everybody to know how awesome this shirt is. It's so clean. It's so white. It's so great. I'm going to let it hang in the closet. Nobody will ever see it. We need to be set free so that we can be. Be about the same kind of self-giving love and life-giving love that Jesus was about. The whole world needs perfect love and abundant life. And in order to get that, we need to be set free from a life that's focused on self. 
How do we get that? Jesus said, this is all found in him. Listen to verse 26. Five times in this one verse, Jesus talks about himself. If anyone serves me, hey, these Greeks want to meet me. It sounds like they might want to be my disciples. That's great. This is the kind of language you would use in the first century if you were a disciple maker, welcoming on new disciples. They will serve me. If anyone wants to serve me, he must follow me. You can't be my disciple and not go where I'm going. You can't be my disciple and stay at a safe distance from me. Be with me. Follow me. And where I am, there will my servant, the servant who belongs to me, the one who is serving me, my disciple, my disciple will want to be where I am. If I get buried in the soil and then I rise again, my disciple will want to live that kind of life. Self-giving, dying to self so that others can live. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. It's all found in me. That's what Jesus says. Everything the whole world needs is found in me. Our mission as followers of Jesus, as a Christian church, our purpose, our identity involves staying so close to Jesus that his mission and his purpose and his identity begin to shape us so that we are changed. Here comes the problem. When Jesus talks like this, when he shares this good news, that everything the whole world needs is found in him, it's easy for us to hear something very different and to hear what he's not saying. The the longer I'm a pastor, the more convinced I am that this is an incredible danger. There are two main ways that people in 21st century North American culture have already been taught to think the light is green. We we think we know what Jesus is saying. And so when he says gospel, we hear something different. One of those things is called moralism. Tim Keller calls it religion. Some people might call it legalism. It's represented in our scripture passage by those Pharisees back in verse 19. Pharisees were people who believed what so many people today think Christianity means. The world needs more people to work hard and keep the rules. That is the fundamental conviction of moralism, and it's not good news. The world needs more people like me, that's what's implied usually, right, (laughs) who work hard and keep the rules. Jesus came preaching good news to people who were bad at keeping the rules. He came preaching good news, the gospel, to sinners, to people who were aware of their failures. And the Pharisees heard Jesus saying, God doesn't care how people live. It doesn't matter whether you obey God or not. You can live a life centered on yourself and get away with it. Jesus never said any such thing. 
But when you're a moralist, when your moralism gets a hold of you, you start to see the world in this weird way. Moralism kicks in and you start to say, I work hard and I earn what's coming to me and I keep the rules and everybody else is lazy and everybody else is lawless and they don't care. Everybody else wants chaos and I practice self-discipline and self-control, law and order and everybody else needs to get with a program because what the world really needs is more people like me who work hard and keep the rules. If you're controlled by this view of reality, then your mission in life becomes proving that you work harder and that you're better at rule-keeping. That becomes your purpose. Your identity is, I want everybody to know, spotless, pure white, I work hard to protect my reputation. I work hard to remain stain-free. And I want everybody to know it and see it. I want God to know I'm better. I want everybody else to know I'm better. I want everyone to know that I work harder and I'm better at keeping the rules. That's what moralism does to us. The gospel invites you to find the freedom to live a life that is not centered on yourself, but moralism invites you to show everybody how good you are. There's a second danger that's at work in our world. It's, it's always been at work in the world. I think it's really prominent in our culture, right? You've been sitting at the light so long you, you sat at so many traffic lights, you, you think it's all predictable and routine. Yeah, I, I know what the light's going to say. It's going to blink green and it's my turn to go. Yeah, well, not so fast. It may not be your turn yet. Don't hear what it's not saying. Yeah, I've heard so much about religion. Anytime somebody says gospel, Jesus, Christianity, I know what they really mean is moralism, legalism. I hate it. Or I know what they really mean is humanism, secularism. There's this kind of sense that we're all alone in this universe. If there is a God, and we don't really know, then there's really not a way that God could communicate with us. So we're pretty much all alone. We've got to figure this thing out for ourselves, and we've got to figure it out. And here it is. What the world needs most is more people with enlightened values, who can create just societies. Moralism will let you live by yourself if you want to. As long as I'm good at rule-keeping, as long as I'm good at obeying, I'm satisfied. Humanism is not going to let you off the hook that easy. It's going to say, we need to belong to a group of people who are seeing the world in the right way. And we need to work together to create a just society. It's not enough if one person is good. We need to create, create whole societies that are full of justice and flourishing. That's what the world needs more. Now, wait a minute. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Does Jesus not care about flourishing and justice? Well, of course he does. 
Just like we'd say to the moralist, Jesus does care about obeying God's laws. But that's not the thing the world needs most. What the world needs most is to know Jesus. Jesus does care about just societies. But what the world needs most to get that result is not more people who share the values of our group, whatever that group might be. What the world needs most to get that result is is to know Jesus. So Jesus comes and and he's preaching good news to fishermen and farmers and peasants. And many in the Greco-Roman world heard what he was not saying. Oh, you're kind of cute, Jesus. (laughs) This little peasant rabbi from a backwater Roman administrative province hundreds of miles from the center of true civilization. We hear you saying, hey, I know compared to your standards, I'm just little old Jesus. I'm kind of backward and foolish and weak. But hey, some of what I'm saying agrees with your values, the values of your philosophers and traditions, doesn't it? Some of what I'm saying makes sense in your system. So, um, you know, how how about you can keep what you want from my teaching if it works for you and your world and the rest of it you don't have to listen to if if you were really steeped in the values of the greek and roman world now the god fears we talked about earlier they had kind of given up on it they had said those values are pretty bankrupt we're looking for something else we want to meet jesus but if you were really committed to those values this is where you would have This is how you would have heard Jesus. Jesus kind of saying, hey, we all want the same thing. And uh, when you think I'm right, you can quote me. And when you think I'm wrong, you can ignore me. Jesus never talked like that. Jesus said, I'm the son of God. I'm the Lord of everything. You don't get to pick and choose. When I speak, you, you don't get to ask me to submit to your value system. That's what humanism does. It says, I'm educated, I'm thoughtful, I'm part of a group, I'm part of a culture. We have a value system that is superior to any other we know. And everybody has to bow to it. Nobody else gets to question this system of values, not even Jesus. So when Jesus lines up with our values, we'll quote him. And when he doesn't, we'll just sweep that under the rug. Because there's this system that everybody has to bow to, even him. Christianity is not humanism. Christianity says we weren't weren't designed so that we could live to prove that we're smarter and more enlightened than everybody else. You see the irony, right? Both of these systems, moralism, humanism, they wind up telling you that your mission and purpose in life is to get everybody to focus on you. See how good I am at rule-keeping, says the moralist. Look at the tradition I belong to. Look how good our values are at creating just societies. Look at us. It's all centered on self. And Jesus 
invites us to do something incredibly different. Good news. I'll set you free from that kind of life that's focused on self. The gospel sets us free to let pride in our hard work and rule-keeping die. Let it be buried in the soil where it can die. And Jesus will bring good fruit out of that. The gospel calls us to freedom so we can let pride in being smarter and more enlightened and part of the right group. We let that pride die. It gets buried under the soil and Jesus will bring good fruit out of it. He will give us the things that we want. He just won't give us those things in the way we often want them. You want obedience to God's laws? Great. You will not get it through moralism. You will get it through the gospel. You want just society? Great. You will not get it through humanism. You will get it through the gospel. That's why we state our mission as a congregation the way we do. Loving our community to life by pursuing gospel restoration. We're not going to pursue restoration by moralism. We're not going to pursue restoration in our hearts, in our church, in our community through humanism, but through the gospel, through getting to know Jesus. I'm having to work hard right now not to mishear my therapist. I'm going to physical therapy. And, um, and there are days, days that I want him to say what I'm looking for, right? I want him to say, keep on running, no big deal. This injury is just going to go away on its own. That's what I want him to say. That's not what he's saying. (laughs) And there are days when I think he is telling me, you will never run again. You might as well buy a wheelchair right now. That is not what he's saying. His name is Michael, and he likes to hurt me, but only so that I can feel better. And he's not telling me those things. I got to work really hard right now to hear what he's actually saying. Hear what Jesus is saying to you. Jesus is saying, if you keep running in these ways, it will only lead to pain. If you keep running this path that says, show everybody how good you are at rule keeping, it will only lead to pain. If you run on this path that says, Jesus, I love you, but my value system I love it more than I do you, so you have to bow to it. It will only lead to pain. But Jesus says, if you will draw near to me, if you will be with me where I am, if you will follow me, I can heal you. And I will free you to run in the path of perfect love, the path of abundant love life has good news that's the gospel jesus calls us not to a system not to a set of rules to himself let's give thanks together lord jesus help us to hear you help us to see you help us to follow you Help us to die to these forms of pride. We we want to think that we are good. 
We want to think that our value system is the right one. But we have to submit it all to you and die to pride and die to self and find new life in you. Give us the courage to do that, Lord Jesus, to listen to you with our whole heart and to follow you with our whole life. We pray these things in your name. Amen.